0: Thank you for tuning in to Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. Today we're going to finish up our study to of Zephaniah chapter three. Zephaniah chapter three, page eight hundred and fourteen. If you're in the red Bible, and this is going to be this is we've been talking a lot about judgment. We've been talking a lot about God's um, passing judgment on Jerusalem, Judah. This is a good one. This is a good chapter. Not only is God uh, talking about that, but he's talking about the restoration of his people. So we're going to start off with verse 1 and go down to verse 4 in chapter 3. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city, She obeys no voice. She receives no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves who leave nothing until the morning. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary and done violence to the law. Now, this is talking about Jerusalem or, or Judah. When it says, woe to her, it's talking about the city. It's talking about people in the city. Different groups. Different groups. It talks about, she has not drawn near to God. The, the city is not drawn near to God. Uh, her princes or her the, the people are like roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. So these are the religious people. These are the people that are supposed to be uh, sharing God's love, God's God's um, restoration, and they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. They are they they come to destroy. From the way from the way of Zephaniah 2 ended, we we perhaps hoped that the oppressing city was Nineveh. From the references to her prophets, her priests, and the sanctuary, and and the law, we learn that Jerusalem was the oppressing city. Jerusalem, God's chosen people, was oppressing. She has not, she has not, she has not, she has not, all the things here. In repenting these four phrases, the prophet told us to root the the root of Jerusalem's sin. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. These are things that cause us to be apart from God away from God these are things that cause us to be rebellious against God when we when we stop listening when we stop obeying when we stop receiving correction this is when we become rebellious this is when things happen in our lives that we become rebellious toward God when our own desires trump God's desires, when our own needs and our own wants trumps God's needs and wants for us, when our own will trumps God's will for us, that is when we are becoming rebellious against God. We stop listening to his voice. We stop obeying his voice. We stop receiving his correction. We need to receive correction in order to be better in life, right? That's why we raise kids the way we raise kids. They get corrected for doing wrong, not because we don't like them, not because we don't want them to be, uh, we don't want them to be happy, but because we want them to be productive citizens in our country. They are, they are corrected for that. When we stop receiving correction, we're in total rebellion. We're in total rebellion, so Jerusalem was in total rebellion. They had stopped receiving correction. She had stopped trusting in the Lord. You see, what happens is it's a stair-step kind of thing. We stop listening to His voice. If we're not listening to His voice, and we can't draw near. Because it says here, she has not drawn near to her God. If we don't listen, we can't draw near. If we can't draw near, we, don't, we choose not to draw near, then how can God give us correction? And if he does give us correction, because we've not drawn near and listened, we don't desire that correction. And then after a while, then our trust in God then becomes lacking. And so Jerusalem was in this place. They were in total and utter rebellion. Total and utter rebellion. And it makes us think, doesn't it, about where are we? Where am I in 2023? September 3rd, 2023. Where am I? Am I in total rebellion toward God or am I following God? Do I listen to his voice? Do I heed his correction? Do I trust him? Do I draw near? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. Because if we don't, then we're in rebellion. Because they all go hand in hand. These four things are go hand in hand. They're like, you know, like ring around the rosy. They're holding your hand. Everything's together. If you're not listening, look, look, it says she has not obeyed. She's not received correction. So if, she's not, if we're not receiving correction, we can't obey. And if we're, not obe- if we're not receiving correction or obeying, we're not trusting. If we're not trusting, we're not drawing near. So they all go hand in hand. All four of them go together. And we must do every single one of them in order to do them. If we're not doing one, we're not doing any of them. So we have to ask ourselves, where are we? Where am I? Where are you? Where are we in this relationship with God? Are we like Jerusalem? Are we rebellious? Or are we walking and talking and being what God wants us to be? Verse 5 through 7. The Lord is righteous in her midst, midst. He does not, he does no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations, their strongholds are devastated. I have made their streets desolate with no one passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no man, no inhabitant. I said, Surely you will fear me and you will receive correction so her dwelling will not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against her but they, are, they were more eager to corrupt all their deeds. Think about that for a moment. God is saying he's cut off everything, he's cut them off, he's destroyed them but yet he's left them open for his correction for his restoration he's like we would say today kind of cast an olive branch he said i have made their streets desolate no one's passing by their cities are destroyed there is no man and no inhabitant i said surely you will you will fear me and you will receive correction her dwelling will not be cut off according to all I have appointed against her. But they were eager to corrupt all their deeds. God is saying, Here, I'm going to extend this to you. I will not cut you off. But their deeds, they were eager to corrupt their deeds. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accidental thing. They were eager to do it. They wanted to do it. They desired to do it. They desired to be corrupt. This is where Jesus had to deal with the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were about tradition, they were corrupt. And they were fine doing it in their own eyes. But Jesus dealt with them. God is saying here, they want to be corrupt. They desire to be corrupt. They're eager to get it done. They're, they're, they're seeking corruption. Her dwelling will not be cut off according to all I have appointed against her, but they were more eager to corrupt all their deeds. Why is that? Why do we do that as individuals? Why do we think about that in, in such a way? Why do we desire sin over righteousness? One of the things is we live in a sin-fallen world and we're, we have a sin nature. That's one of the reasons. But why? We also have... This righteousness that dwells within us, with God, God's God's Spirit, God's God's heart, God's will, should be dwelling within us. So why do we choose to walk away? Why do we choose to have this eagerness to sin? The Lord is righteous in her midst. This made the unrighteous of the of His people, unrighteousness of His people, even more criminal and tragic. God had been nothing but righteous to them, yet they responded with sin. Eventually they put themselves on the wrong side of God's righteousness and face his justice. So, God was putting out the best. He was putting out everything. He was, putting, he was being righteous. He's being just. He was, and still they sinned against him God brought his judgment to the nations around Judah and it should have warned Judah that would, that would happen if they rejected God instead of learning from the surrounding nations they dedicated themselves to ungodliness all the more why do you think that is I think it got kind of comfortable don't you we're God's chosen people God's not going to destroy us. Look at all these pagan nations. Look at all these people that don't follow him. He's going to destroy them, but he's not going to destroy us because we're his chosen people. It got so bad that they dedicated their lives to sin and ungodliness because God would surely not destroy us. We're Jerusalem we're Israel we're his chosen people of course he's not going to destroy us we can do what we want not so not so and if we, and if we in 2023 stand around and sit around and we say well I'm a Christian I got saved 25 years ago I can do what I want God can't and won't destroy me wrong wrong He will destroy you. He will destroy everything about you because you have not followed. And if you have an attitude of doing it because you feel like he won't destroy you and you dedicate your life to living the way you want to live, all the more justice will come. All the more justice will come. But then in this second part, this second part of this and in, in the verses 8 and following down to verse 13. There is a shift in God's motivation. There's a shift in God's desire here in his way, in his speech. Starting in verse 8, he says, therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, until the day when I rise up to seize and the plunder. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation. All my fierce anger for all the earth will be devoured with fire and jealousy. For then I will restore to the people a pure speech. They all that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From, from beyond the rivers of, of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed nation dispersed ones will bring my offering. On the that day you will not be ashamed. For all your deeds by which you have transgressed against me, for then I will remove from your midst those who rejoice in your pride and you will no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people and they will trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do, not, will, will do no unrighteousness nor speak lies, nor will be, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they will feed and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. So, see, this has to happen. Restoration has to happen, and it's going to happen by what by what means? Verse eight. Verse eight. That's the means. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, until the day when I rise up and seize the plunder. For my decision is to gather nations to assemble the kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger, for all the earth will be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. That's what's going to cause the restoration. God's jealousy, God's a fiery judgment upon his people. A fiery judgment upon his people. That's what's going to cause that. I like how they use the word fiery judgment. Because I can remember when I was a young man a hundred years ago I used to live out on a farm and One year we had drought, 1992, I think it was 92, 93. So bad that the grass was like hay, and not hay, but straw. It was yellow, and, and my dad caught the grass on fire burning the trash, and it burned a lot of the acreage before we got it out. And you know what happened? After that fire... When it began to grow back, guess what? It grew back green. Now, why do you think that is? Well, you could scientifically say, well, the nitrogen in the and the in the ash and all that fertilized the ground and it made it green. Okay, well, sure, but there's a biblical principle here. Fire brought about restoration. That fire of the that straw like grass brought about a green grass or a restored grass because the nutrients that was not there was then replaced by the fire so god's fiery judgment then will then bring about a renewed faith things they haven't thought about things they haven't seen or haven't done in a very long time that fiery judgment is going to be the wake up call holy moly, I should have been doing this. I'm sorry, Lord. And it's going to be a a brand new generation, a brand new peoples that are not going to have deceit in their midst. They're not going to have unrighteousness. They're not going to speak lies. They're going to be holy before God, but it's going to have to take some fire to shake out some of the bad stuff. Right? Right? And God does that in our lives. God brings us to the fire. Fire also purifies. You ever see them make, we Justin and Zeke and I watch these things where they'll, they'll melt down aluminum or metal or whatever and they'll make these things, make like rakes and whatever, but you pull off the dross on the top and you heat it up more and you pull off the dross and you heat it up more, you pull off the dross, all the bad stuff. And if you do that too long, do that enough, none of that dross comes up. You've gotten rid of all the bad stuff and what you have is pure whatever it is, pure aluminum, pure tin, whatever. And then you can mold your stuff and you've got a tin shovel or a tin rake or an aluminum whatever. Whatever because you've gotten all the bad stuff out. That's what happens with the judgment of God. The fire judgment of God will purify and create new life. Sometimes we have to have that happen in our lives. Sometimes we have to have things burned away in our spirit to bring new life. And of course, restoration. What's restoration bring? Restoration brings joy, doesn't it? Are we joyful when God does something in our lives? Are we joyful when God moves? We should be. The second part here, he says, that they all may call on the name of the Lord. In this ultimate restoration, God would give the world a common language again, a pure language. Now this is talking about a couple things. We would all have the same language in that we all want to please God with our speech. But you can also say that this is talking about the end times when God brings everyone back together again and we all have the same common language. As we see in the book of Genesis, when they built the Tower of Babel, God had to confound the languages so that they wouldn't do something to harm themselves. Being, thinking they were higher than they should. So God had to confound the languages to stop them. At this point, then, he says they're going to have the same language. They're going to restore language in two ways, in two, two scenarios. They'll have the same type of want to, the same type of speech, the same type of thing in that area in life. But also, in the last day, when we're all together again, we'll all have the same speech you can understand people that you couldn't understand before. Peoples in other, in other countries, in Asia, and in Africa, those languages will understand them because we are all of one language, one accord. Most Bible scholars see this as fulfilled in the, last, in, in the days of the millennium when Jesus reigns for a thousand years over the earth after his return in power and glory. For this passage, many, many scholars believe that in that day, the world will go back to common language, perhaps Hebrew. Wouldn't that be interesting? Where it talks about to serve him with one accord, literally this is the, with one shoulder. The idea that the shoulders are working together as one to bear the load of the work. So we're working together. We're of one accord. We have one common goal. We're united as a people. I don't see any country in today's day and age truly united as a people. You might say, well, we're a Christian nation in America. I'm not going to debate whether we are or whether we aren't. But we are not united as a people. We're not united for the common goal of serving God. We're not united in that area. And so as, as being not united, we are not of one accord. And that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. You shall no longer be haughty on my holy mountain. In the millennial earth, Israel and millennial earth, Israel will be the world's superpower, but she will not be proud or haughty. Under the leadership of the Lord Jesus and his redeemed, she will know that her standing is all of grace. It's all of grace. So it's not of anything we've done or they've done or we've done in our lives. When God brings judgment upon us, and has to put us through the fire so they can bring about re- redemption. It is not about what we've done. It is about what he has done. Not what we have done. Verse 14 through the end of the chapter, the end of the book. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will see evil no more. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, "Fear not, O Zion, let not your heads be slack. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew, with, re, renew you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who grieve for the appointed festival, which is a reproach and burden on you. At that time I will deal with all who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will give them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time I will bring you in. And the time at the time when I gather you for I will make you renowned and praised among all peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes says the Lord so promise of restoration promise of restoration sing O daughter of Zion shout O Israel be glad and rejoice with all your heart when we are given this restoration when we are given this love of God it should bring a rejoice in our life Rejoice in our heart, a joy, the Bible says a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. A joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. One we can't express, but it's just a joy that we have. In the light of this glorious promise of restoration, Israel should sing and shout with joy. God will save and redeem them from both their enemies and their iniquities. You know what an iniquity is, right? An iniquity is a sin that we decide to keep doing. And we do it continually. And we do it without remorse. That is an iniquity. God will save them from their, not only their enemies, but their iniquities. The things that they choose to do because of the sin nature. So what does that mean? Does that mean the sin nature is going to be gone at this point? I don't think so. But I think what's going to happen is I believe that God is going to give them such a wonderful blessing that their iniquities will, be, will melt away just with the rest of their sin. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. This passage gives us definite steps for consolation as we understand that the lord is in your midst so here's something that's important these four things or five things are important the lord is in your midst every single day the lord is in our midst we may not we may not feel like it we may not believe it but he's in our midst every single day the lord is in your midst with power to save So he is eager to save. He is eager to work on your behalf. He is in your midst every single day. God takes joy in you. Think about that. When we serve God, when we walk with God, when we do that which God wants us to do, he takes joy in us. When we pray, when we seek, when we study, when we minister in his name, He takes joy in us. God gives you rest in his love. True rest. Rest you've never had in your life. Not just physical rest, but emotional and mental rest. God gives you rest. He gives you rest when you walk with him. God sings over you. God desires you. God loves you so much that He sings over you. So much that He sings over you. God is a wonderful, wonderful God. Charles Spurgeon says this about us rejoicing, and so He He will rejoice over you with singing. Charles Spurgeon. Says this: Think of the great, Jeho- the great Jehovah singing. Can you imagine that? It is possible to conceive. It is possible to conceive of the deity breaking into song, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost together singing over the redeemed. God is so happy in the love which He bears to His people that He breaks the eternal silence, and and sun and moon and stars with astonishment. Hear God chanting a hymn of joy. God sings over you. God desires to sing over you. But we have to put away our iniquities. We have to put away our sin. We have to follow God. We have to, just as it it said in the beginning of this message, we have to trust God. We have to take correction. We have to follow Him. We have to do all those things. If we do those things, he will walk, he will sing over you. Charles Spurgeon goes on and he says this If God sings, shall we not sing? He did not sing when he did not sing when he made the world, no. He looked upon it and simply said that it is good the angels sang the sons of god shouted for joy creation was very wonderful to them but it was but it was not much to god who could have made thousands of worlds by his mere will creation could not make him sing when all was done and the lord saw that what became of it in the salvation of his redeemed then he rejoiced after a divine manner. So it wasn't creation that made him sing. It wasn't creation or what he created. It's us that make him sing. Us following him. Us walking in in his way. Us trusting him. Us taking correction. That brings him joy. So much joy that he sings. Isn't that wonderful to know? That God sings over you and me. God sings over us. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. God is great. Amen. I will gather. I will save. God promises to encourage the discouraged to defeat our enemies, to heal the lame, and to gather the scattered. All this is for one, for his praise and fame, and for ours. Because we are found in him, I will give you fame and praise among all the nations. God desires for us to be in him. Amen. If we want to make God happy, if we want to make God love us, he loves us anyway, but if we want to make him love us and we want to avoid his judgments and his, his harsh justice, then we must follow. We must walk in his ways. We must take his correction. Because from correction we learn and we apply. We can, Listen, here's the thing with learning and applying. We can learn anything. We can learn anything. Principles of things. But it isn't until we apply those principles that things in our lives begin to change. God wants us to not only heed his correction, but apply the things that he wants us to correct. Amen. He desires for us to apply those things. So our our assignment for this week: What have we learned about application in our own lives? Do we apply the correction of God, or do we just take it? And, yeah, yeah, you need. Yeah, I need to start, stop, or change something. But do we apply that correction? Do we apply it? That's what I want us to figure out this week. Do we truly walk with God? Do we apply his correction? Do we trust in his voice and his name? Do we do all those things? I want us to investigate that in us this week from the pulpit to the pew. We need to figure that out, amen? Let's go before the Lord. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this um, book, Zephaniah. Help us, Lord, to look to you for strength. Help for us to heed your warnings. Help us to follow you. Help us to trust you. Help us to heed your correction. And not only that, but apply it, that we might be holy before you, blameless before you, that you would sing over us each and every day. Father, I pray you'd bless us, and each and every one in this room with a great day today with a great week this week, with the opportunity to share their faith with others. Lord, touch and bless each and every one of us that's here today. Minister to us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.